Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hey, Peter, how's it going? I'm doing well, and yourself? I am doing excellent. It was a super fun week. Well, it's hard to complain. The weather has been very good and we're biking and doing small distance uh, mountain bike groups again. So that is that is good. I thought you were going to say small distance runs and I was like, what the heck do you oh, mean? Oh, yes. We also did that distance. little uh, on foot ramble. Casual yes. little 21 miler. 33 kilometers so my birthday my birthday right. kilometers i was just gonna say someone's birthday it was someone's birthday with uh with a couple friends and yeah kind of fabulous run on saturday and then log hopping clinic uh, uh up near collingwood on sunday followed by another 10 miler with, with a couple friends for me yeah, it's been a good week. I really like the, obviously, the skills instruction and stuff, but the, the guiding is actually something that I've been doing more of and actually really enjoy, too, just putting together routes, you know, given what someone is looking for as far as a workout or, you know, where they want to go to or what their ability is. So, actually, Friday, I did a early morning. I have a client working up here uh, who had to be at, you know, at the, the virtual desk for, I think it was 9 a.m. or 9.30 or something. So, we met early in the morning and hit a bunch of gravel and showed him a bunch of new stuff and like he has a house here too right but sort of some new little ways to link things together and you know he was sitting down at his desk you know in time for that zoom meeting i feel like you're like so puffed up right now about your route planning because you did that on friday you planned our actually fantastic run on saturday and you got to leverage this everyone everyone on the run individually like commented on how fun the route was and how great it was despite these 750 meters of climbing over 21 miles not nearly enough sketchy jungle grasses i i would prefer but that's where you have to be careful when you're guiding for people how much jungle grass are they willing to walk through right how how many rashes do you want after the route um yeah and then sunday we like at the log hopping clinic uh, the log hop intensive is what we call that not just a clinic it's intensive um, the, the one woman who was there actually had ridden at that forest plenty of times, but you know, as we were riding around and investigating all the different logs that the, the woods had to offer, she was saying it was, you know, super fun to actually go out there and have like a route in mind, not just kind of try some trails and end up continually sort of back lost. at the parking lot yeah. or lost. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird, right? Like you, you often don't think of that, uh, when you're going to a new area or, or trying to even learn something, right? I think that's a lot of it is just that context and getting to the right thing at the right time. And so, yeah, I, I really like it. So, so it was a fun any, weekend. If any of that sounds intriguing to, to anyone, you can check out consummateathlete.com for bike skills, sessions, private, small group, uh, guiding and all of that fun stuff. So, so check that out. Um, oh, the other very exciting, we have a new consummate athlete in the family. DW, the mini dachshund has learned to swim, added, added swimming to his repertoire. We had gone down to the stairs b- one week, and now Stair- he's yeah. this, yes. He uh, we went down to the bay just like with a, with a couple of friends just to look at the water, and I sort of thought he was going to sit on the shore and give me grumpy looks and bark at me when I waded in, but got my feet in, and suddenly he's just like sprinting by me and diving in, and dog paddled around my feet for a while, and just had a grand old time. Yes, it was very exciting. You you seemed quite quite into it. 
I was so happy. So uh, any other things like what are well else are we going on here? We've had some good episodes in the last few weeks. If ever anyone's missed them, yeah, yeah, lots of lots of really good stuff from pretty much pretty broad range of topics. A lot of a lot of cycling, but uh, you know some good Cairo and physio type stuff too. And yeah, a lot of a lot of good stuff coming up as well. Uh, anyway. Uh, I brought up DW and dogs because actually we got some fantastic dog training advice from today's episode. Um, I can't believe this is the first time we're having her on, but we finally sat down. Well, actually, myself and my my good friend and coaching client, Luli Kay, a young shred girl in Pennsylvania, she and I sat down with Katie Compton via Zoom to talk about all things... Uh, cycling, cyclocross, mountain biking, uh, dog dog training. Since That's right, yeah. So we had, has... a, we had a guest co-host. Yeah, it was super fun, actually. And so the reason we had Luli co-hosting is because Katie was actually scheduled to race the Transylvania Epic, which was Luli's big goal for the summer as well. And that race obviously canceled because of COVID-19. So, you know, when, when Luli told me she was really excited about meeting Katie Compton at the race and that was going to be a really big moment for her, I was like... Well, obviously, this is the perfect time to get Katie on the podcast and, you know, have have Luli along for the ride. And it was it was really fun. I've I'm honestly shocked that I haven't had Katie on before. I think it's honestly because I've been interviewing Katie for 10 plus years now. And we've talked so many times that I genuinely forgot that we've never right. sat down. She was in your book, Fuel Your Ride, as well, sort of talking about nutrition. She was in Fuel Your Ride. She was in Mud, Snow, and Cyclocross, my first book. Um, I've done a lot of really lengthy interviews with her for bicycling and for flow bikes over the last few years. And, of course, when I was at Cyclocross Magazine years ago... I feel like I talk to her pretty much every week because she is the winningest cyclocross racer uh, in North America, the highest number of UCI cyclocross wins out of any North American racer, 15-time national champion. Um, this, uh, The 2019 national championships in December was the first time that she's lost in 15 years. Um, and it should be pointed out, she was still third. Right. This was not like uh, she's out. She was very much in the mix and, you know, still had an amazing race. And I am I am dead set that she is going to win world championships at some point. She actually podiumed at Nime World Cup uh, only a few weeks after that national championship. Right. So to be, yeah, just that that long lasting in the sport is just so impressive. And we talk a lot about longevity in sport and sort of what's kept her in and what's kept her healthy over the years. Mm -hmm. And she's pretty open about like, it hasn't been just this smooth ride. I don't think it ever is really. I think no. some people are more maybe open about it. Um, but you know, you, you see these people who win all the time, right. And it seems like they just win, but you know, well, she has fought for every, probably every, every one year, of them. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, she's, she's also, I think very similar to me. I think we get along because, you know, she's she was more of a lifelong athlete than I was per se, but she didn't get into cycling until sort of into college. And she was more like me as far as our uh, junk food diets growing up and, you know, kind of had to make the transition to healthier eating and stuff. And we talk a bunch about what that looked like and, you know, figuring out how to eat optimally for her health. And she has a lot of like allergies and stuff like that. So, um, it's been really interesting, even honestly, just her, her food journey over the years, given that I've interviewed her for, you know, a nutrition book four years ago and how she's changed since. Um, 
Yeah, super, super interesting conversation with, honestly, just one of my absolute like icons of sport. I think she also threw one of the passes of the year last year. At, was that at Nationals when she went from like, I don't know if it was like third to first or yeah, was it she, Nationals or was it at the I, Trek World Cup? I do think it was Nationals. It was like on a downhill and mm-hmm. she just That took. was Nationals, yeah. I remember watching that and being like, she's going to win again. And unfortunately, it didn't It didn't work out that way. Although Clara Hunsinger, excellent national champion, very happy with her race. And she's a fantastic uh, young woman as well. But to... You know, Katie Compton had won every national championship since I got into cyclocross. Like, she is, you know, a living legend of the sport. So, as always, it was super fun chatting with her. She's a fantastic cyclist and human being. So, I hope everyone else enjoys this episode and this interview as much as I did actually doing it. All right, let's dive into this chat with Katie Compton. All right, I am here with... Katie Compton and my new co-host, Luli, who's on special for today. Um, So, I mean, Katie, you were supposed to be doing TSE and I I don't even know what else your plan was for the summer. So what's, what's right now look for you, look like for you? What are you up to? Um, Well, right now it's pretty much an extended off season. Um, I was going to do, I was going to go to Seattle for night composites, um, not to race anything, but just to be there for the event. Um, I was going to do TSC and I was going to do like, be at Dirty Cans and not to do the full one, but to do a short kind of social version of it. Um, so that was kind of my spring that everything obviously got canceled or postponed. Um, and the summer I was going to do a little bit more mountain biking, maybe an enduro two or two, um, that sort of thing, but nothing yet planned. And now I've just decided to do a really good base. Um, so I've been doing a lot of foundation, a lot of long rides, um, trying to work on some overgeared stuff and some tempo and, um, climbing and just really working on that base so hopefully uh that'll be good in the long run mm-hmm. especially for cross season like uh since last year I wasn't able to come into the season as fit as I'd like to uh I think this season will be better yeah and I mean you haven't traditionally done a ton of racing in the last like few years I remember you doing some mountain bike stuff like mm-hmm. a while back but typically mm-hmm. you're not really doing a ton during the summer anyway right um, it depends. Like I've changed it up over years, just depending on what, uh, like kind of how I'm feeling. Um, I have done mountain biking in the past, but I kind of, once I was done with Rabobank and done with racing the world cups, I just, I just didn't want to mountain bike race anymore. And it's a small person's sport, like all that climbing. And I'm just not small enough to be a good climber. And I don't want to be that hungry. So <laughs> it's one of those things, like I kind of cut my losses. I was like, race what you're good at ride the mountain bike for fun but don't try to you know put a, a square peg in a round hole um so i do mountain biking for fun i've done some enduros like the, the enduros where you have to where there's more pedaling so it's more fitness required than um like jumping skills uh and that's been really fun um the last couple of years i've done some more road racing because it's not quite as hard on the body um and it's got some good intensity so i've been doing some of that guest riding on some road teams um, but for this year, I was really just going to focus on the good base and some fun events like TSE Epic was um, on the radar because I love the technical mountain biking and the, the Rocky Ruby trails. Um, and I kind of miss that East Coast single track. So I wanted to add that into plan. So yeah, that's right. You're, you're yeah. actually originally an East Coast single track. It person. Is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I miss that. Like we have um, single track in Colorado. But it's different. Um, it's high speed. It's a lot of like loose gravel and high speed descending. 
-hmm. um, and I kind of miss the combination of speed, but also having the technical skills to get through a root in a rock section, um, which we don't necessarily have here. Um, and so that was just going to be fun for me. And I just love, like, the PA riding is pretty great. So I kind of want to, pun intended, get back to my roots and have fun with, with a stage race. You, you would have definitely gotten back <laughs> to your roots on those courses. Exactly. I know, oh, right? Hey. Yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah, I love it. So. Now, do you, think, uh, do you think kind of growing up with, with that kind of mountain biking as your, your first intro to mountain biking, do you think mm -hmm. that helped with cyclocross? Like oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Because you need that um, kind of explosive power to get through a rock garden, especially if it's an uphill techie rock garden or, or a root bed. Um, and then also the, the climbs are kind of shorter, punchier. Um, I would say maybe one to three minute climbs. Like I don't remember having too, too many long climbs on the East Coast, at least where I was. Uh, so I think that kind of the hard kind of punchy efforts, the fun single track, um, you just, if you can ride roots and rocks, you, you become a pretty good technical rider. And like I started riding that stuff on 26 and hardtail. So, you know, you learn how to ride stuff when there's no yeah. suspension to kind of save the day. <laughs> Yeah, um, which translates into yeah. cross when you can actually then run lower tire pressures and exactly. have more confidence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So, um, I mean, I remember racing 24 hours at Canadian in West Virginia on hardtail, 26-inch wheels. And then I think it, towards the end, I actually got a full suspension to realize how much more fun that was. But <laughs> that was like back in the day when full suspensions weren't super efficient. So mm -hmm. nobody really rode them or nobody really raced them. Yeah. Um, but now everything is technology's evolved so much where I don't even own a hardtail anymore. Um, I call them fun haters. <laughs> so uh, I just yeah, full suspension mountain bike for fun and, uh, you know, do the, all the training on the cross and the road bikes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of hills, uh, it has mm -hmm. been, uh, Luli and I have been working together for a while and getting somehow our, our hill testing has, uh, oh has not managed to, to happen. <laughs> so have, no, you, uh, it's, it's tough. <laughs> have you learned to embrace hills over the years, Katie? And if so, how? Um, I have. And honestly, it took me moving out West to really enjoy climbing. Um, because on the East Coast, there's just not enough long climbs. You can't really get into a rhythm. Um, but here, when you've got an hour climb or two or three hour climb, you have no choice. And you've got to do it. And if you want to ride any of the trails, you've got to climb to get to the top. Like, there's, there's no way around it. Um, so for me, I mean, also lost some weight, too, which helps. I was definitely bigger when I was on the East Coast. Um, so that helps with the power to weight and, and not hating it so much. Um, but a lot of it is just learning how to pedal the bike a little differently, use your glutes a little bit more, um, just kind of get comfortable with being uncomfortable, kind of mm -hmm. like that low tempo, pushing on the pedals for one to three hours at a time. Like you just, you do get used to it. You, you adapt. Um, and so yeah. I, I still really enjoy climbing. I don't uh, necessarily go as fast as some people, but uh, I still enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So on the, on the note of, uh, of weight loss and where you were at before, <laughs> you and I have talked about this a bunch of times, and it's like my yeah. favorite topic with you is the, uh, <laughs> you and I both have had the, uh, we'll, we'll call it the growing up with the standard American diet. Yeah, let's just say corn fed, a little corn fed, processed yeah, food, lots of Pop-Tarts and bagels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's <laughs> I mean, I'm still on the bagel bandwagon, uh, but you, you've, you've gone yeah. off the bagels. Um, yeah, so yeah. yeah. Um, if you can kind of speak to, to how your nutrition has evolved over the years. I know we've gone into it a bunch of times, but yeah. here it again. Um, yeah, so 
like what led me to have to adapt or change my nutrition from what I used to do is first of all, just the health reasons. Um, cutting out processed food is, is better for everybody. Um, but for me, since I have my um, gene defect, I don't metabolize folic acid. Um, so I have to make sure I don't have any food that contains folic acid. I need folate, um, the natural form. Um, but the folic acid, since everything's enriched, especially flowers and grains and such and rice, um, I have to stay away from it. And so for me, like when I was in college and at my heaviest, as well as uh, staying with my leg pains all the time, because when I have folic acid, I get really, really severe leg pains. Um, I was eating, I was eating crappy diet, typical college diet, you know, you're like, whatever tastes good, you eat it and you eat until you're full or maybe a little bit more, you drink beer. Like there's some to be said about being in college and having good metabolism and eating whatever you want until one day that stops and you start getting fat. <laughs> so, um, for me, I, I started eating a little bit better once I moved out to Colorado, uh, after college that changed things because everybody out here is so healthy and fit and all that my riding friends are healthy and fit and they all ate better than I did. And that kind of just wears off on you. Mm -hmm. um, so I started improving my diet, cutting out some of the processed foods. And then um, I, I cut out gluten because that was a thing to do. And then I started feeling better because cutting out gluten is cut, cutting out folic acid and processed food. So that helped a ton. And then as I've gotten older, I've developed some food allergies. Um, so I have a grass allergy, so I don't eat wheat products because wheat um, kind of makes my grass allergy worse. So now at 40 years old, I don't eat any processed food. I don't eat any grains. Um, I eat a low to moderate carb diet depending on, you know, how much I'm training, how hard I'm training. Um, I make sure I get plenty of protein. Um, I eat, let's see, healthy fats and... Uh, you know, you know, all the meats I have are usually organic or grass-fed, humanely raised. Um, so I try to eat well and eat quality food and also from animals that are happy, at least for mm -hmm. most of their life until the very end. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> um, but I feel better. Like, my energy's better. My sleep is better. My moods are better. Um, my mm -hmm. skin's improved. Like, it, it's, a, I think, a night and day difference between how I felt when I was in my twenties compared to how I felt feel now. Yeah. Um, from the nutrition. Yeah. And I mean, I know you, it doesn't, it's not like you're eating just like salad after salad or like really mm -hmm. boring meals or anything. Like I I've seen mm -hmm. sort of, you know, your, your day to day and it's, it's still interesting and like delicious mm -hmm. meals and stuff. It's not yeah. like you've given that up. No. And I think once you learn how to cook and once you learn how to cook, um, with, with, not eating certain foods if you have allergies or if you just choose not to eat them you can make food really good and really tasteful you just have to have the the right flavor profiles the right amount of fat and sour and salt and sweet um you combine all the right flavors and you have really delicious meals like there's plenty of vegetarians and vegans out there that cook really good healthy balanced meals you just have to know how to do it and that just takes some time and some trial and error and to be willing to make a food and like maybe not necessarily like it, but eat it because you don't want to waste food and then change it to make it better the next time. Um, yes. I hate wasting food. So <laughs> I will eat no matter what I make and then I'll just fix it for next time. Make it better. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'll have to put a, I'll have to put the cookie recipe that you sent me into the show notes so people can, can try it yeah. out. Yeah. And that's a good one. And like, I always, 
hold back the fact that it's a gluten-free recipe because everyone's like, oh God, a gluten-free cookie, that's the worst. And I get that because like most gluten-free cookies aren't good. Um, but that cookie recipe, I've dialed it in very well. It's grain-free, gluten-free. You can make it vegan if you want. You can leave out the egg. You can use coconut oil instead of butter. Um, and it makes a really good cookie regardless. So um, yeah, feel free to post. And uh, it's a good base to start with for any cookie you make, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I made it for Peter, and Peter even approved of it. So it did you know, he? Oh, good. good. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah, good. Good. I'm not gonna lie. Like <laughs> I still prefer like the Nestle Toll House uh, yes. chip cookie version, but I yes. I liked that one. That was a that was a reasonable substitute. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's like I found if you use potato flour, like two tablespoons of potato flour in in any flour mix you make, even if you're making um just regular flour cookies, it makes them chewy. So if you want that soft batch form, two tablespoons of potato flour. I love it. it uh, yeah, it'll, it's pretty perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we have to talk about the fact that you've, you've been in the game of cyclocross for so mm-hmm. long. That that's, mm-hmm. To me, like, that's the only thing that most people know you from. But I know you didn't start in cyclocross. So Mm-mm. let's go like, way back. What was like, the first sport that you were super into? Oh, gosh. The, um... Well, cycling has always been the sport, the sport that I was super into, but it was track and road first. Um, but like, I grew up playing all the sports. Um, and I think my favorite sports when I was in like junior high and high school was probably lacrosse and um, field hockey. Those are my, um, my favorites. I also played basketball and ran cross country. Um, cross country I enjoyed, but just I wasn't that good at. I enjoyed the running, but I just was never a really fast runner. Um, but yeah, I think the, the team sports are fun. Lacrosse especially, because it's a running sport and the coordination, and, and uh, I just really enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. And in yeah. track, you did para for a while too, right? I did, yeah. I raced on the para team from 2002 through 2006, um, raced on the track in the road, and uh, it was a blast. Like, there's nothing – the tandem is so fun on the track. You go so fast, and it's so smooth. Um, it's definitely one of the funnest times I've had on a bike, for sure. It seems terrifying to me. I'm not going to lie. Like it combines like the two scariest things, like the track and a tandem. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I guess since I've grown up on the track, it's not scary to me. I'm so used to riding a fixed gear. I'm so used to kind of the speed and the safety of the track. Like I think of Veldrum, I think of the safest place to ride a bike because you don't have any brakes. So nobody can stop quickly. Um, There's no traffic. You can go as hard as you can because there's no one in front of you to run into. Um, especially if you're doing obviously the, the timed events. Um, but it's up to you and there's nothing, you can just put your head down and, and go if you want to. Um, obviously when you're training with other people on the track, that's a little bit different, but uh, it's actually, it's a great place to be able to go fast. And the banking, it's, there's nothing like dropping into a steep track um, at full speed and just feeling the G forces around the banking. It's uh it's pretty fun. So um, give it some time. If you have a chance, get on the Valdrum again. Like, just give it time, and eventually the balance and like the confidence will come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried it a couple times, but like the second time I was on, my pedal actually came out because I hadn't tightened it uh. enough. <laughs> and if you've ever tried to yeah. come down from the top with one yeah. pedal, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's tricky for sure. Um, I think that or um, breaking a chain or flatting on the track that's a little bit tricky because you obviously can't stop quickly. Um, yeah. So that would probably be the mo- the scary times. Like I've actually had my worst crashes on the track too, um, mm-hmm. mainly because we're going so fast. 
and you start at the top of the track when you crash and you, you don't stop until you hit the apron on the bottom. So yeah. it can get pretty painful mm-hmm. for sure. Talk about road rash and splinters. Not awesome. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. The wooden tracks, you get splinters. And I've seen, um, I was at junior worlds in Slovenia um, in the nineties and one of the guys crashed and got a splinter through his calf muscle. It was like a one foot long sprint splinter, probably an inch thick in diameter. And oh, it went straight God. through his calf metal. Yeah, it, it wasn't pretty. And he was definitely in a lot of pain. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep. He would be. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. And like that, I was like, thank God I, I haven't crashed in a wooden track. Because, <laughs> yeah, they got to take to the hospital and usually put you under anesthetic, anesthesia Ugh. just to kind of pick out all the splinters. So. Oh, boy. Hey, yeah, it's good making, stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is making cyclocross seem so tame by comparison. It's so tame because falling on mud and sand, you don't, you just get bruised or sore. Yeah. You don't actually hurt yourself too much. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think how, I'm ever going to try sac- track cycling now, ever. <laughs> it's actually, it's really fun. I mean, those crashes are very rare. So I'm just saying like, it's happened once and like all the track racing I've watched, I've seen it once and I've been on the track since I was 12. So you know, that's, right. that's not too many crashes. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And so when, when did you, like, when did cyclocross start? What, what happened there? <laughs> that's a funny story. So that started, um, I was probably a, a junior, a sophomore, junior in college, probably junior in college it started. Um, I was racing on the track in the road and then I was also racing mountain bike quite a bit. Um, and I had gotten a, I had won U23 road nationals that year and I got a free trip to Europe with a national team to race like, I think tour of Holland, tour of Swiss and the Holland and Swiss world cups. Um, and then world championships that year, <clears throat> but I'm Delaware from Delaware. And like, these are climbing races like tour of Holland was fine. So it was flat, but like any of the climbing races, like I was out the back, you know, first time up a hill. Um, and so I came back from that trip and I was pretty miserable. Like the national team coach at the time was telling me how fat I was every day. I should stop eating. And a lot of it is like, yeah, I get that, but it's a little bit late. <laughs> like, I am not going to lose 20 pounds tomorrow, but thanks for trying to make me feel awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of got back from that trip and I was like, I suck. I'm, not, I'm never going to be able to do this. And so I wanted to quit bike racing. And so since I had taken the semester off the school, um, to be a bike racer and realizing that didn't go well. Um, I still had like November, half of November and December to kill time because I could start like our winter semester in January. So I had like six weeks to kill and nothing to do. Um, so I just end up, I was riding my mountain bike and going to the bar pretty much six days a week, <laughs> drinking with friends and like just feeling pretty miserable. And during that time, um, in one of the bars, uh, couple friends of mine kept trying to talk me into racing cross because they were going to a cross race on that the next day and I was like no I'm not going to do it I I don't want to get off my bike and run I hate it like it's a dumb thing and they kept on telling me like how good I'd be at it because it's like it's it's the speed from track and like the technical skills for mountain bike they're like you'll be so good at it. you should try you should try it and I eventually just caved like it was a couple hours of that and I was just like all right fine I'll do it um and so they picked me up at like six in the morning and I was still drunk and I was like, Oh God, this is going to be a tough day. Um, but I usually follow through with what I'm going to commit to. And so 
they picked me up. We drove to New Jersey to race and I had my single speed mountain bike. That's all I had. Um, and so I ended up, I woke up at the course hungover by this point. And then I pretty much got out of the truck soon enough to just register, pin my number on and get to the start feeling miserable. Um, I raced the race. I got second. Um, I absolutely loved it. I felt awful. I think I threw up at the end, but I was hooked. Like after that, I was like, okay, you know, this was really fun. It's a really great day. I feel awful, but <laughs> I think I want to do it again. <laughs> yep, and yep. so I did. And then pretty much every weekend after that weekend, I was going to cross races with a group of friends. Um, and I was making money because they had good payouts in the mid Atlantic region. And so yeah. it ended up being like a really good way to have some fun, to make some money. Um, while I was, you know, between semesters at school. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was hooked since then. As you know, materials in cyclocross are very important. What do you think, Mr. Sven Nies? It's uh, very important to have the good material when it's frozen, when it's dry, when it's summer, when it's, uh, when it's wet. Uh, the tires are very important. It's all about technique. It's all about uh, the good material. So we brought the Bike Shop show back with a cyclocross focus. Same great format, new name, Bike Shop CX. Give it a listen. I think you'll dig it. Each week, Mr. David Palin and I talk about things that go on at our bike shop. We talk about things that go on in the pro cyclocross pit at all the big races around the country. Sometimes we have industry-leading guests on the show. Sometimes it's just the two of us yapping. If you're at all interested in cyclocross, I think you'll like it. The bike shop is open. Hey, Peter. What does a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach do? Well, Molly, let me tell you, I work with busy people that want to do big, crazy adventures. You know, these are people who have kids, they have families, they have all sorts of work stuff they got to do, but they have big goals. They maybe want to do a big mountain bike race, 100 miler, something like Dirty Kanza. They might just want to keep up on the group ride. And all these things are really, really cool adventures and really good breaks from all the other stuff we have going on in our, in our busy lives, right? So I help people do that. And so I really like programming and finding ways that we can fit movement into their lives. Sometimes that involves, you know, consultation around movement or trying to work through some sort of injury. Uh, and sometimes it's just dealing with, you know, fitting stuff in and getting the work done. So that's what I do. I, I coach and I build training plans and, you know, that's that's what a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach does in my case. And how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in, in well, chatting with you? You're on the Consummate Athlete podcast. You go to consummateathlete.com. You can find coaching links on that website. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. And so I raced cross for fun for those couple of years, moved out to Colorado, didn't race very much. And then I kind of got back at it when um, Mark and I met and he talked me into racing cross again. So yeah, that was pretty much the, the quick rundown of the start. <laughs> I love it. I also really yeah. enjoy that your first cross race was in New Jersey and my first yes. one was in Delaware. So we're, oh, we're nice. actually flipped. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Flipped. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Grenogue yeah. was mine. Wait, do you remember oh, which nice. one was yours? Um, does Highland Park sound familiar in Jersey? Yeah, yeah. HPCX. So that's where I went to school. So that was actually like my my team and club would have put on that race. Okay. Like I think so. Like for some I... reason... Yeah, that sounds familiar. I could be wrong on that because I think this race was in like 97. So they've been putting sure it on long... for, I think it's like the longest running one in New Jersey. Is it? So that's okay. probably, it was probably yeah. that race then. 
Yeah. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. Such a, but I did race Grenoble. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Grenoble was good. Grenoble, the mountain bike race they used to put on, as well as the cross races. Those were those were pretty fun. And the local club I rode with, uh, they're the ones who put Grenoble on. So. Uh, okay. It's a, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that race. It was like my first one. It was just mud, just mud the whole oh, way yes, up the hill, the whole way one. down yeah. the hill. Yep. Yep. yep, I raced that year and I loved it. That was so much fun. Yep, same feeling yeah. though. Like I, fin- yeah. I remember finishing being like, I hate that. That was terrible. When can I go again? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, especially when you have one bike on a mud day, you're like, wow, I just got to get this done and yeah. somehow not break something. Yep. I've been slowly, uh, slowly trying to like egg Luli into racing cross. Yeah. And she she yeah. did a couple last season. Yeah. How was it? Nice. Um, it was good. I, I, I'd only did like one official one this fall. Uh-huh. I was on... A borrowed bike my first time ever riding it it was way too big for me mm-hmm. and um like I raced first in the like the junior women which was like fine I didn't really like it that much mm-hmm. sorry <laughs> and um but then I <laughs> then I raced single speed um and that was like a blast so I'm I'm kind of torn at this point <laughs> yeah give us some more time like I think uh the more you do it the more you fall in love with it and also yeah. the better you get at it, just like technique and skill wise, like it just gets more efficient and more fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you like the single speed version, keep doing single speed because it's a great way to get fit. It really yeah. is. And my brother's a big single speed rider. So mm-hmm. he's a big pushing me to do that. And the person who lent me the bike, she actually got herself like a really, really nice new bike. So she's <laughs> giving me the one that I rode. Oh, nice. So I'm going to have a cross bike and I'm going to try it again in the fall. <laughs> Perfect. Good. Good. I think you should. I think you'll enjoy it. Molly's really happy. I'm so happy. (laughs) Cross is pretty great. And whether you like enjoy it or not, or just want to, it's, it's a nice scene to be part of because the people are just so great and like the personalities and like the fun factor. um, Even if you never want to take it seriously, it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a fun place to spend a weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so Luli races in like the PA NICA league, and I keep saying like ah, the okay. Pennsylvania NICA is basically mm-hmm. the same as like the cyclocross scene in terms of yep. like that level of just like fun and like family yep. and yep. knowing everyone at every race. Like it's mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's yeah. like really the only reason I race. I I hate every part of the racing. <laughs> the only reason I go is to see all my friends. So. <laughs> that's perfectly fine you know <laughs> yeah sometimes it's good to have uh, a hobby and not necessarily think of it as a career, a career path yeah that's for sure um, <laughs> I mean that's one of the, quickly uh, oh, sorry go ahead mm-hmm. oh no that's one of the questions I had that's sort of related is like when yeah. were you like I want to be a pro cyclist or never like, Never. I've never thought that. No, nope. I kind of stumbled into it. Whoops. Yeah. Yeah, really? <laughs> um, no, because at the time when I was good as a junior in the 90s, that wasn't an option. Like, women didn't make any money. Um, and, like, so I went to school. My um, degree was in exercise science. And I wanted to be a cycling coach. Like, I always thought the coaching thing was was going to be fun. Um, and the co- I had a lot of good coaches when I was a junior. And so – they helped me out tremendously. And I was like, I think I want to do that. And I remember having a conversation with my dad when I was like, I think as a freshman in college. Um, and he asked, we were talking about, you know, what, I, what do I want to do with my life and what degree, like what I want to study in school. And uh, he was always like, exercise science, huh? Like, 
so what what do you do with that <laughs> and I and then I was like well I can get a master's degree afterwards and he's like yeah so what do you do after that <laughs> um but I kind of stumbled into the coaching and then luckily it was about the same time where coaching started actually becoming a lucrative business something you could do as a as a career as a job um but I hadn't necessarily thought about racing bikes as a professionally that just wasn't something on my radar um especially after dealing with um kind of like the experience that I had by that time like I was good in the U.S. but like I didn't see that um success in Europe um but once I got on the para team and actually had some really good coaching um some really good experiences and then just got stronger and better um got a little bit more fit and then I kind of stumbled upon cyclocross, which is the perfect, it was a perfect place for me. And it was also a place, a time for where cross was actually growing and you could actually start making money in cycling. And so it kind of just worked out where I was finally good at a discipline of cycling. Um, it suited all my strengths. And then it's a place where I could make money too. And it just happened. It evolved. And I think right place, right time, the right skill set. Um, it all just worked out for me. And then you know, you commit to one year to two years to three years and here I'm 41 years old and I'm like, I kind of wish I was 10 years younger so I could keep doing it for longer. Um, yeah, but sometimes uh, life is what happens when you're planning your future. And I didn't really have a future in, in plan, but uh, I just kind of made decisions and went with having fun and enjoying what I was doing. And it turned into luckily being a pro bike racer. And I don't think I would change much of any of it. I love that. And I think yeah. that kind of speaks to like what's kept you sort of motivated and growing over the years instead of the idea of like, I have to be a pro cyclist. It's always been mm -hmm. like, just sort of like, okay, what's like the next natural like evolution of like what I'm doing? Not necessarily. Yeah. Like, it has to be this thing. Yeah. And I think um, like, I like the process of it. I like the competing. I like the travel part of it. There's a lot of, I, a lot of stuff I like about bike racing. Obviously, there's always the stuff you don't, which is like the negative, the sad points, the disappointments. But in every job, you've got that. It's a matter of, you know, how you deal with it. Do you still really enjoy what you're doing most of the time? And um, luckily, I've, even though I've had quite a few down periods, uh, I still love racing my bike and I still really enjoy it. So I just know <laughs> when I hit those down spots that eventually I'm going to come out the other side and I'm going to be probably better for it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it definitely is a challenge. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, well, you've had, I think the longest running pro cyclocross career out of, I think literally anyone in the U S certainly. And yeah. Rivaling anyone in Europe. I'm trying to even think of it. Um, Sonic Hunt and low cells. They um, were both at my first world championships, 2007. They're racing as like, I think 16 year olds, maybe 17. Yes. Um, and they, I don't know when they started. Um, and obviously Lois is, I think in her mid thirties and Sana is, I think 30, 29, 30. Um, yeah. so they still have plenty of time to continue if they want to. Um, but yeah, so far, I think those girls, I remember racing with the longest I'll say. Yeah. yeah. That's a young person's sport though. I have to say, like, I do remember when I had a lot more kind of speed and quickness and recovered really fast. <laughs> now, now I got to like pick and choose. I'm like, today's gonna be a good day. I'm gonna need five days to recover. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. And with the back to back, I mean, cyclocross to me is actually like the most brutal of sports, just mm -hmm. with bar none, because it's two days on, five mm -hmm. days off, two days on, five, and just 
repeat for like six months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got travel days on top of that. And like a lot of US riders have to fly Monday, Friday. So I always compare it to like racing two 40K time trials every weekend for six months. Yeah. And trying to wrap your head around the, the mental stress that is, and then the physical stress, and then just like the adrenaline rushes you get at the start line and the you know, pre race nerves, it wears you out. Um, yeah. And I think there's a reason why cross racers in March and April, we're just so tired. It's, it's amazing how tired all of us are just from a long season with intense racing and travel and winter. We're training in kind of crappy conditions. Um, it's definitely, uh, it's hard. And I think the reason we do it is because we love it <laughs> because yeah. there's easier ways to make a paycheck. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's funny. Since I started doing the like ultra running stuff, I'm like, wow, this is so much easier than cyclocross <laughs> ever was. Cause there's like two to three races a season. That's yeah. it. And like, yeah. that's reasonable. <laughs> That's real. Well, yeah, because when you're running 50 miles or 70 miles or 100 miles, whatever you choose to do, you need plenty of time to recover. But also, there's only so much time in the day for training. You can't really train as much as you want to because life gets in the way. Exactly. Um, but it's so funny that, that from an ultra runner, they think like cross is harder. I was like, I would much rather 45 minutes of just like bleeding my eyes out than like 20 hours of, of running of just that uncomfortable tiredness and soreness and nope 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 cyclocross is so nope. much harder cyclocross is so much harder <laughs> i guess Cycl it's pick your poison <laughs> yeah exactly like i thought it was harder yeah. than iron man i will say it is like the hardest sport that i've wow. ever done like, although easily. i have to say my hardest thing i've ever done is the kilo on the tandem on the track um because a kilo is i think the hardest track event or i'd probably say the hardest bike racing event of all of them because it's standing start as hard as you can go for one kilo. And there's no suffering like there is in the last lap of a kilo. The last 20 seconds is like the most pain you'll ever feel ever. Um, and then so the tandem kilo, I, I've never suffered like I have on that race. And it's brutal. Um, and I would never want to do that again. And that's only <laughs> like, say, minute 10, minute 15. Um, but, man, it's a, it's a painful one. So I hear you. Sometimes the short events can be way worse real painful way worse, <laughs> way worse. <laughs> so much worse yeah i also yeah. hate intervals so that's that's just my like, other reason i don't really love it so there's there's that yeah i think that just comes with being an athlete for a long time you just get tired of looking in the stopwatch and and trying to do intervals honestly yep. like i get to a point now like especially now when we don't have any racing anytime soon i've just done unstructured stuff where i'm just like okay i'm gonna do tempo to the top of the hill Mm -hmm. I'm going to do like a hard effort till the next corner type stuff. Mm -hmm. And that actually makes it way better where you're doing some intensity to keep the fitness up, but you're not actually looking at a watch. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. But I hear you. It does have, get old. Yeah. Have you had any trouble lately, like getting motivated to ride with everything canceled or does it sort of just feel like, nah, I still like riding my bike. So, um, actually no. Cause I still like riding my bike and it's kind of been nice to, be forced to stay home and not do anything because sometimes when you got you know the next race or even if like for me i'm using it for training and for fun and something to look forward to like there's still something about training for it as well as being recovered enough for that event where now i don't care like if i'm tired one day i'll just skip riding or i'll do like i think last week i had a big day plan i was really looking forward to it and i was gonna do a long loop and kind of go exploring 
And then I, I got on the bike and I felt awful and I was super tired. I'm just like, you know what? Today's not the day. So I did an, an hour and a half recovery ride and just was like, well, I'll put that ride off and do it next week maybe. Um, and so I'm going to try to do that ride today. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I love the fact that I can just change it up. Like it doesn't matter because I have nothing coming up. It doesn't matter if I do it this week or next week. I don't need to be recovered for anything. So um, it's been kind of nice to go exploring and just ride by feel and knowing I would be fit at some point and knowing maybe a little bit later in the year, I'm going to have to do something more specific, but at this point I can just work on the base. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, okay. Upcoming cyclocross season. Have you Mm -hmm. started thinking about like what goals, what, like what your plan is yet? Um, I haven't because I don't know what the race scene is going to look like really hard yeah yeah and um i don't know what the race scene in europe's going to look like um i'm not sure about the 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 domestic program um also we don't know if americans are going to be able to travel outside the u.s we don't know if there's going to be other countries putting restrictions on american travel because we have so little testing Mm -hmm. and we don't have and control the COVID numbers so like technically like i don't you don't know if belgium's going to let americans come in to race bikes Honestly, mm-hmm. so we have to wait and see. So my plan is just to be fit and to worry about the race season as we get closer to it. And then I'll make a decision on um, kind of what racing I need to do, I want to do, how I feel. Um, just kind of, it's kind of up in the air, but I'm okay with that. I've been doing it for so many years. Like Mark and I can change our schedule on the fly and yeah. I can change my goals as we go. Um, obviously, Nationals and Worlds, I assume those races were still going to happen. So right now those are always the goals so Mm -hmm. we'll see yeah do you think it'll be interesting lining up at nationals for the first time in uh 15 years (laughs) um it's more or less pressure i don't know um there was the same amount of pressure through the years and like it just kept building and building and building and honestly there's a there's i would say a handful of years there where i was like whew I was a close and I'm pretty surprised I won that one again. <laughs> so I knew it was going to come to an end. I was just really disappointed with how I felt that day. Like I just had such a bad day and such bad legs and I couldn't breathe very well. And I was just like, well, this is unfortunate because I really want to have a good day. I really want to try to win this again, but I knew on lap two and I'm just like, well, this is going to suck. And so I had, you know, four laps of, to like, deal with the emotional part of not being able to win again but I was also like you know what I had a bad day and like somebody there's two people who were faster than I was who rode better than I did and just like it is what it is like I did what I could it wasn't great it wasn't my best but it was my best on that day and I have to accept that and move on um hmm. I'm really proud of everything I've accomplished and what I've done and um the fact that I could do it for 15 years in a row I that was pretty special um but it's bike racing and you can't always, you know, have the perfect day. And I didn't. <laughs> so I moved on and, um, you know, focus on the rest of the season and focus on world championships. I'm happy to have a good world, good world championships. Um, kind of wish it was a little technical and muddy. That would have been better for me, but uh, I put in a good ride. I had a good, you know, I felt fairly decent and got a decent result. So you had um, a pretty good world all, cup between those two I as did, well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that just a little, just a little podium in a World Cup, no big deal. Yeah, and that was it was great because like I actually really liked the course in Ome. I don't know why, but I think the way the mud is, it's super slippery and it suits my ability. It's flat, so that's also good for me. 
Um, but yeah, I just, I was starting to come around and starting to feel better. Um, and I was just, yeah, I was really proud of that race. That was a really fun one. And, um, I think from there I knew my form was good. I just have to kind of, um, kind of prepare and keep on it and come into worlds recovered. So, um, I think that that all ended well. I, I still will put money on you every year for world championships. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, fingers crossed at some point, but I know I've had some good race at world championships and still not been good enough. So it's like, um, I'm happy with what I've done, but obviously there's always that winning would be so much better. Um, but it's not from lack of trying. It's not from lack of suffering. It's not for lack of putting it out there and going for it. It's yeah. just that, unfortunately, there's always been one person that's been faster. <laughs> I'm like, one of these days, one day. everything will come together and I will be the fastest on that day. <laughs> I firmly believe this. Yeah. Yeah. We'll Fingers crossed. Yes. Fingers crossed. Fingers, toes, every, every year. <laughs> everything. Everything. <laughs> so, I mean the sport of cyclocross has also evolved like as you've as you've been in it like if you look at like the photos from i mean geez 2007 or like even yeah. the photos when i first got into it in like yeah. 2012 or 13 or whenever it was like it's a totally different ball game now how has your how has your approach to training and racing evolved over the years you know very very um, little question not like a giant one we could write a book <laughs> on or anything yeah right um, honestly, my training has evolved ma mainly based on my dealing with health and injuries. Um, that's kind of changed my training the most in like the past. Um, some for good, some for not so good. Um, but a lot of it is just listening to my body as I age and knowing I've got a bunch of experience in me, knowing I'm still learning things and still learning how to be better. Um, but also just knowing that my body's going to change, my recovery is going to change, um, and just my body changes, changes as I age and the speed isn't quite what it was. So knowing things I have to work on more, like for now I do, I'll try to do more speed work coming into the season because it takes me a little bit longer to find that fifth year or sixth mm -hmm. year, I guess. Um, <clears throat> and I also make sure I have to do the foundation and the base a little bit longer, a little bit longer rides, um, each season too. So it just changes with, um, kind of the ride time and dialing the dialing in the specificity of training to get the most out of my body as I get older. And then nutrition comes into that as well as sleep and, um, you know, flexibility, that sort of thing. So I can avoid injury. Um, so I can stay healthy and, um, also recover as fast as possible. So mm -hmm. it's definitely changed through the years. Also, I think people have gotten faster too, and there's, we got a deeper pool as well. And so, yeah. um, even on a bad day, I, I can't do as well as I used to do. So now I have to have more good days racing. Um, so yeah. it's just, you know, knowing your body, learning, learning what works, learning what doesn't, and then listening to your body each day and, and seeing what's, what's, you know, your body's bringing to the table. So yeah. I definitely listen more and yeah, adapt sure. training to that. Yeah. yeah. Now you and I are both two people who don't necessarily need to do a whole lot of this, but what's strength training look like for you? Do you add any in? <laughs> Um, I don't, I do core and I do push-ups, um, do yoga. Um, but I, I just put on muscle mass too quickly. Um, even if I try to do some upper body strength, just so I can manhandle my mountain bike a little bit more, mm -hmm. I put on like my upper body gets big and I'm like, then I have to spend time losing it. Yeah. Um, I'm getting stronger. Like I definitely get stronger, but I also just put on muscle weight. So for me, I don't spend any time in the gym. 
Yeah. Um, if I do any strength work, it's overgeared work on the bike. It's overgeared sprinting on the bike. It's overgeared climbing. Um, a lot of like maybe overgeared VO2s, but it's a lot where I'm pushing hard on the pedals um, and working on strength on the bike where I'm not going to be putting on muscle mass either. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely, I just got that lucky genetics where if I want to be a strength trainer, bodybuilder, I'm pretty sure that would work well. <laughs> like, yeah, I've got yeah. enough type two muscle fibers where they just like to grow and they like to grow quickly. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, you and I are both like, if you look at a dumbbell suddenly, <laughs> yeah, your muscles yeah. just like get bigger. You're yeah. like, how did that even happen? Come on. Exactly. Well, it's funny. Cause like my husband, Mark, he's tall and skinny and like, he'll go to the gym and all he does is lose weight. Yeah. Like he can eat protein and do strength training and try to put on weight and he just loses it. And where I will go and do the same, spend the same three weeks in the gym and I'm 10 pounds heavier. And I'm like, how? And I'm trying not to eat too much. I'm trying not to like <laughs> be too hungry, but I'm just like, how is this? How am I putting muscle mass on and gaining weight when you're losing weight? This should be the opposite. Yeah. But, I mean, I know we'll both yeah. be really happy about that in like, mm -hmm. you know, in our fifties and sixties, yeah. that's going to be yeah. awesome, but it's yeah, very exactly. irritating for endurance athletes. That's, it that's is, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think like, I don't know if when I'm done bike racing, if I'll get in the gym and like just work on the strength, but um, I've got really strong bones. I got really strong tendons and ligaments and muscles and such where I'm hoping like, even though I don't do any strength training now, when I'm 70 or 80, it, I'll still be good to go. Yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to regret not, regret not strength training at my age. <laughs> I once, uh, I once accidentally won a bench press competition. So yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Yep, I'm right there yeah. with you. Yep. <laughs> as long as the form is good, you can, you can have the drive to like pick up some heavy weights. Like for me, um, carrying stuff to the airport, carrying all our luggage to the airport and carrying in groceries and such. That's pretty much the strength training I do. I try to carry as many bags of groceries at once and walk up the stairs <laughs> and I can do it. <laughs> yep. Even better when you're in like a small apartment in Europe on like the sixth floor. Yep. Yep. Add some stairs yeah, to that. Pretty much. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. So, so that's what I do. Yeah. Um, Luli, did you have any other questions you wanted to ask before I ask for puppy tips? Um, mm. Sure. I have some questions that like, that, well, aren't necessarily cycling related. Okay. This one's Perfect. totally random. So per personally, when I'm riding, I like, not when I'm mountain biking, because that's kind of dangerous, but I like to listen to music yep. when I'm, like, gravel biking. Um, is there, like, any type of music that you like to listen to that, you know, gets you going to... That's funny, because, like, this will be, show us the difference in our ages. I listen to a lot of classic rock. Um, Guns N' Roses is a favorite. Um, I like a lot of Jack Johnson. And then um, Elton John, he's a go-to. I love Elton John. So... For me, I would say classic rock or music that like has um, a fast beat or something mm -hmm. I can hum to. Mostly happy music. Like I cannot take Guns N' Roses is probably the heaviest metal I will listen to without getting angry. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's my go-to. Like intervals. Like sometimes I like some Snoop Dogg or Guns N' Roses. Uh, anything fast-paced, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, but mostly I listen to podcasts. Like I listen to way more podcasts than I do music. Um, mainly because as a bike racer who hasn't been in school for very, you know, for a long time, I like to learn stuff. And so I listen to a lot of physiology and nutrition and like, um, uh, 
psychology and let's see, and then some entertainment podcasts too. They're just fun, fun to listen to. Um, sometimes audiobooks too. So uh, when you're riding a lot longer and you haven't been in school for very long, um, stimulating my brain is, is usually my choice <laughs> on long rides. Unless I'm, if I'm riding technical stuff or doing intervals, then I usually don't listen to anything or I'll, I'll pick music mm-hmm. for that stuff. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then I had one other question, which mm-hmm. is, you know, as, as a young cyclist, um, you know, I spend a lot of time kind of trying to find people to look up to in mm-hmm. the cycling community, you know, um, and I was just like, who are some of your role models now or when you're just starting racing? Um, honestly, so when I was starting racing, we didn't have social media. We didn't have the internet. And so I got Bell News like once a month that I don't think I ever read. So who I, I looked up to the people around me. I looked up to um, the older racers, my friend group um, as one of the only juniors in my group I had a lot of friends who were in their like either mid-20s or even mid-30s and some of you even had kids too but um just older riders who have more experience they taught me a lot um they taught me a lot of life balance how to have fun riding a bike um not necessarily training things but just riding with groups um just I think just listening and taking direction from people who are um have more experience not only on bike stuff but just uh in life i remember some of my closest friends when i was uh i think high school and college um they were in their 30s and they had kids and they are happily married and they just taught me a lot about how to be a good person a good human um how to how to be a good adult i'll say (laughs) um but they also had a lot of fun too so i think like just having people around me to look up to and good humans to look up to um that that i think that made the biggest difference um now i don't i don't necessarily have anybody i look up to now um i think i just look at uh maybe certain personalities and see things that i i appreciate or maybe a good sense of humor or a good outlook on things a positive personality um and then just good humans, honestly. That's kind of what, in this day and age, just kind of picking out good people and uh, emulating them, I'll say. That's nice to know because a lot of my biggest role models are like my, just like people that I mm-hmm. spend a lot of time biking with who live in State College and things like that. And all my friends are like, why don't you know any like really famous sorry, like, why don't I? And I'm like, I don't know. Do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's like you don't. And, and the people that you surround yourself with, the people that you want to spend your time with, um, the people that are, treat you well, those are the people you should emulate. Those are the people you should look up to because you're, that's actually something you can experience for yourself. Um, looking up to pro bike racers, you don't necessarily know them, but what they put in social media, and that's not always reality. So mm-hmm. actually being around people that are good role models and emulating them, that's, I think, the best way to go anyway. Um, and they can be inspirational to you. They can help motivate you to go out and ride, um, to do maybe more adventuring than you're, you're comfortable with because they've been there, done that, and they've got experience with it. So for sure, be proud of being close and, um, you know, gaining experience and knowledge from uh, the other bike riders in your area. 
Yes, agree a hundred percent. Awesome. All right, last thing I have to ask you about okay. best best puppy training tips. <laughs> um, crate train your puppy. Hopefully you got a crate. Okay, that makes it so much easier. And then just be consistent, like with the commands. Um, that's dogs look for consistency. And if you're you have treats, um, Mark and I started air popping some corn for Molly, and she loves popcorn. And so it's a little it. calorie treat too. Yeah, and they love it. Well, she does. Um, I just use a little olive oil and salt because I'll make some for me and then I'll share yeah. some with Molly. Yeah. Um, but treats are awesome in the beginning. Um, for the commands, you know, the sit, stay, come, um, off if, you, if they jump up on you type stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, just training them early and often, not necessarily having to do a long session, but even a couple minutes a day, a few of the commands till they get bored and want to do something else. Um, but just consistency, mm-hmm. feeding at the same time, walking at the same time, um, using the same commands. That would be the, my, um, and then picking everything up. Don't let anything on the floor until they're at least like two and a half or three. Cause it's like you'll lose been... socks and gloves and helmets and shoes and like, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. been the hardest part for us because we've never had a pet before. So suddenly <laughs> nope. we're like, wait a second, we need to actually like close doors and like closets yep. and oh, that's yep. <laughs> yep. And so, and that's a big thing. Like I, my first Rottweiler, oh, she was a handful, but she was a chewer and not all dogs are chewers. It just depends on which, which dog you get and which breed you get. But like my Roddy, she chewed all the wooden legs off all the furniture. My dog yeah. did that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize how much they chew on wood until you look around and see every leg from the coffee table, the dresser, the TV stand, the chairs. You're like, it's all chewed up. <laughs> yeah. We were so, super yeah. lucky. We were going to get our carpets replaced and that got canceled last month. So mm-hmm. yeah. now we're stuck with our old carpets and they yeah, called to reschedule and we were just like, could you come in like September? <laughs> yeah. That'd be even better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for that, it's just, um, letting the dog out every two hours, especially little dogs when they've got a small bladder, mm-hmm. like just let them out a lot and give them a treat when they pee outside. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe taking the same spot each time, but yeah, that just takes being on top of things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes for um, you can get a bell for the door and ring it right for you outside. Yeah. yeah I want to bring it as they that. pee. Yeah. Yeah. That always helps too. Oh, um, awesome. But, Mm-hmm. yeah but have fun with them they're so cute they're so fun <laughs> yeah all right katie where can everyone find you on the interwebs um i'm at katie f and compton at twitter and instagram so it's katie f n compton um <laughs> i'm not on facebook too much but you can probably reach out to my athlete page and i eventually look at it but if you want to reach <laughs> me instagram or twitter is probably the your best chance <laughs> yep yeah yeah awesome well thank you so much for for hanging out with us yeah it was good it was a pleasure i really enjoyed talking to you guys hey everyone thanks so much for tuning in to the consummate athlete podcast while you still have your podcast app open do us a huge favor head over to itunes or whatever app you're listening in and rate and review the podcast it's super helpful it you know gets us more guests on the show it gets me a dog um and it's just you know a good way to give back if we've provided any kind of value to you throughout all of the episodes you've listened to if you're looking for the show notes you can find those at 
www.consummateathlete.com. We have lots of other content over there and any information about coaching or events can also be found at that same website. And you can find us on the social medias at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.